Welcome to the Region Biome Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dean Felix Tricot, a certified integrative health practitioner, level one and two, certified in blood chemistry and functional lab testing. I love helping people with GI issues, weight loss, mold exposure, heavy metals, misters problems, and health optimization. I love helping people get to the root cause of their health struggles and simplify healing. Ready to transform your health? Go to regionbiome.com and click book a call. All the support is greatly appreciated. If you enjoy, please write a five-star review on iTunes or the platform of your choice. Enjoy the podcast and please share this with anyone that this would help. Welcome back to the Region Biome Podcast. Today in episode 22, we're delving into a topic that affects us all, the global crisis of chronic metabolic health decline and the keys to building resilient health. Joining us is Dr. Tina Moore, a powerhouse in the world of holistic regenerative medicine and resilient health with an impressive background, has both a naturopathic physician and chiropractor. Dr. Moore brings nearly three decades of medical expertise to our discussion today. So she's the host of the Dr. Tina Show podcast. She's also a number one best-selling author and an international speaker and advocate for medical autonomy and personal responsibility. Again, Dr. Moore is here to share her insight on the top five fundamentals of optimal metabolic health and why strength training is crucial, especially as we age. She's not just a medical expert, she's a kettlebell devotee, a mother, and a passionate dog lover prepared to be inspired and informed as we explore how to make our bodies more resilient and capable of thriving in today's world. To find out more about Dr. Tina and her work, be sure to check the show notes, follow her on Instagram, and visit her website for free resources and information on her upcoming course. Let's dive into this enlightening conversation with Dr. Tina Moore. Before we begin, the information provided in this podcast episode is for educational and informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always refer to your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or health goals. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Dr. Tina. So glad to have you on. It's been long time coming. It's been a couple months, I think. Uh, I've, re I've reached out to have you on. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked to have you with us on the Region Biome podcast. So yeah, lots to talk about. Some, a lot of amazing topics. So welcome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I was so honored when you reached out and I, this will be really fun. I had to get through the holiday season, but I'm ready. I'm back. So oh, tell me, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I was in Quebec for the holidays. So for a month, but definitely, we just spoke before the show just about how cold it was here in Alberta, Canada, where I live. So, and you just went through a little bit of that cold yourself in Oregon. Yeah, it's we we don't normally get we normally just have rain for nine months, and it's like a special kind of hell because it's just gray all the time. But we got a, we literally got encased in ice for a week. So I'm uh, excited to get back to the gym and Pilates, and yeah, I'm, I'm getting you. cabin fever. Definitely. I know getting these walks, definitely metabolic health is a huge thing for me as well. So getting my 10K steps a day is a boss, but I, <laughs> yeah. I have an indoor stand up. Like I have these little treadmill that I walk on as I'm doing work. So thank goodness, at least I can get my steps in. But yeah, perfect. We're going to dive in. I love you so much for your trueness, how you are as you're in the health and fitness industry. And the thing in the health and wellness industry, especially in functional medicine or in that scope of practice, 
I think a lot, a lot of people don't talk enough about metabolic health and exercise specifically as like basically the, the building block and the foundation of health. And you preach this online nonstop and people go after you. I'm just like, so I'm like, no, I'm going to have Dr. Tina on. We're going to address this and give you a shout out because I'm just, it's so important to address the basic foundation. And I think like we, and I got in the health industry because from illness, like myself being with chronically having some digestive issues. That's where I got started with becoming a coach, an IHP coach. So yeah, so definitely a big one. But at the yeah. end of the day is metabolic health is so important, right? It is. And it's weird how unpopular it was in medicine uh, up until very recently. It was not even something that was widely discussed. And my mentor turned me on to it Gosh, decades ago, uh, my mentor, he actually passed away. Today's the anniversary of his death. Mm. I was, oh, I got a little teary before I came on. Yeah. I was thinking about it. He was a force of nature and he was amazing and super fit. And he told me way back in the 90s to start lifting weights and to stop doing cardio, stop doing chronic cardio. And I was like, are you crazy? I was in my early <laughs> 20s and I was like, what do you mean stop doing chronic cardio? What is chronic cardio? I thought that was the only way. And that was back when You'd go to the gyms and they'd have like a women's room and it would be little pink dumbbells. Everything mm -hmm. was pink and only the big lug heads were out there doing the heavy lifting. And so he got me, he really, it probably took me another 10 years to actually listen to him and start beginning to implement his strategies. But he was on it way back when he was telling me to avoid refined carbohydrates. He was, there was no term for paleo diet back then. There was no carnivore diet. He was just a really smart man and he told me to keep my waist circumference in check, to never, ever let that get out of line. Don't ever let it grow. Stay in the same size belt you were in your 20s if you can do it. And, and it's not about vanity. It's about metabolic health. And I was so honored to, I'm just so lucky to have had mentorship like mm -hmm. that way back when. And then I came online probably in the mid, I don't know, about 2015. And everybody then, all the big health influencers were talking yoga and veganism or vegetarianism. And I was like, no, deadlift and eat steaks <laughs> and go in the sun. That was another thing going in the sun. I was talking about that when I was in medical school and I very clearly remember my classmates giving me a lot of shit. And this is a naturopathic medical school, a lot of grief about that. And I'm like, you guys, I think we photosynthesize. I think because my background was in biology and I understood cell biology very well. And I was like, dude, if, if, plants photosynthesize. I'm pretty sure we photosynthesize. And since mitochondria are actually bacteria, they're symbiotic bacteria okay. that live inside of us. They're not, they're not of us. They're organisms outside of us that we must have to survive. I'm like, if that's the case, I bet we photosynthesize. I took a lot of grief for that too. So it's really <laughs> fun. To, all that to say, it's really fun to see all these years later, all these decades later to see this becoming the normal exactly. conversation on social media. And I realize the public at large is probably still pretty much in the dark. And we live in our little echo chamber of fitness oh. and health, but like we get it. And I'm hoping this is something that is more understood because it was never more important than when COVID hit. And I was like, mm -hmm. immediately I panicked. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to get slammed in North America because our metabolic health is such a disaster. And we had early studies coming out of China saying that type 2 diabetics were getting hit the hardest. And we have data on that from the influenza going back. So I was like, oh, shoot, guys, let's get our metabolic health in order and vehemently attacked very right. early on for even saying that. And I was like, what is going on here? So anyway, all that to say the true ticket to resiliency is to have your metabolic health intact. And that's a big umbrella term. I realize it's not any one thing, but 
I do think that strength training, building muscle is really at the foundation of that. Our food is 99% of it. And I want to say that strength training is too. I know we can't have 200%, but I, you just, both are non-negotiable. Mm. What you put in your mouth matters entirely and how you move your body and specifically building muscle is non-negotiable, especially as we age. Yeah, I know that was one of my questions I was going to ask and see like to you and also like your background, what got you started into, into the, the naturopathic medicine? Because you went to school and you've been in this for, oh my goodness, like a couple, Long decades. Time. <laughs> a couple of decades now. I have to say you are aging gracefully. So Thank just you. like, yeah. <laughs> Which is shocking because if you had known me when I was a teenager, you would think this was hysterical. My friends who knew me back then are like, wait, what? I chain smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I lived off of macaroni and cheese. I didn't eat meat. I The smart thing I did when I was 14, I quit eating meat, which was stupid, but I stopped drinking soda and I wouldn't touch artificial sweeteners. I remember them. They were introduced in my lifetime. So 1982, I remember the first time I tried NutraSweet and I was like, ugh. So I, some of the things I did and some of the things I did very wrong. And I'm, I was just talking to a gentleman, Joel Green. I don't know if you know. Of, oh, of course, he's... my mentor. I was, oh. a, I had uh, Joel. I, <laughs> I, I know Joel is my, is my mentor. I was on his cohort with the, the immunity code. They got certified as an ICC coach. Oh, and amazing. So I love Joel. Actually, I was just listening this morning to the new book, The Way. And, and, oh, you guys, like, I was thinking of you. I'm like, you should be talking to, you should just, I should introduce her to Joel if she doesn't know about him because I'm like, oh my gosh, he's all about that. So, yeah. I just, I just discovered him to be totally honest really? with you. I just discovered him several months back and I immediately mm. reached out to him to ask him to come on my podcast. And it was yes. like you and I, like he had to, we waited a while. I just had him on and the episode comes out Wednesday. So I'll listen to it. Oh, he's so smart. He, I told him actually, he reminds me a lot of my mentor that I was just mm -hmm. talking about. He has figured out from a different angle the same things I've known for decades that my mentor taught me, but we didn't have the science to back it up. We just had anecdotal understanding of how things worked. And my mentor, that is the way that my mentor taught me was almost verbatim what the immunity code says. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, but Joel puts <laughs> the mechanisms behind it. Joel's found uh, the, the molecules and the different hormones and put it together in a way that I'm like, oh, this is stuff I know, but didn't know it like this. So anyway, all that to say, he told me the other day that he was on the Zoom call with me and he said, you look great for your age. And I was like, that is such a huge compliment coming from him because that shouldn't, it shouldn't be. I took terrible care of myself my entire life. I don't know how I got through this, but I think what happened was, I think my mentor, I got, my mentor got a hold of me in my twenties and I started listening to him in my thirties and I really started implementing in my forties. And I just think that's true testament that you can turn the ship around mm -hmm. if you catch it early enough. I think it's much harder once you get into your 40s and 50s. I think that's a much more difficult thing to reverse. I think you can improve things vastly at that age, but it's very difficult to get to a point where you're in a sort of an anti-aging state. So I don't know. All that to say is I live it. I live it every day. I have a lot of autoimmune conditions. I have a lot of health issues. I have a lot of chronic health issues and chronic pain. And so I don't really have a choice. Like I have to live this way. Otherwise things go south really fast. Like the mm. wheels fall off the car. I don't have a lot of bandwidth to, you know, wiggle room, I call it. Like yeah. I don't get a lot of wiggle room. If I have two nights of disrupted sleep or two days of bad eating or two days of not exercising, things just are going south. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely. 
I can't have it. So yeah, you understand oh, you've had chronic illness. And I mean, you got back from Christmas. And this is why a lot of the things that Joel teaches as well too, and, and the gluten and all of these things. So obviously it's so interesting as to how much we, how much resilience that the body has and what we can actually do and get out of these boxes that everybody's been put into that this is bad a hundred percent. So everything. So this is why I think there's so much. It's not of a lack of information now. I think people have so much confusion as well, too. So it's nice. Oh, yes. Confusion and overwhelm and just. And then you've got accounts out there dispelling things that other people are saying. And that's how they grow their whole account is by like taking other people's content and trashing on it. And if I were the general public and I didn't have the ability to discern and the education I have, I could see why it gets really confusing. And then. To our defense, the public wants us to be polarizing. That's how you grow, right? Like you say something really polarizing and all of a sudden you get a bazillion exactly. views. And I just can't get around that. So I never tell people how to eat. I tell them how I eat. I will only counsel patients whose labs are in front of me on how to eat. I don't, mm-hmm. it's all so individual for people. And we can generally agree that get the garbage out of your mouth. But even in that community, there's they go to the grocery store people like, Put down these crappy chips and buy these chips instead. And I'm like, it's still ultra refined carbs, people. Like, it's still not good for you. And this is gluten free. Get this cereal instead. I'm like, cereal is still human kibble. We still, I still wouldn't put that in my mouth. And then people get mad and it's a mess. I think social media has really yeah. made a mess of things for people. Oh, de- definitely. Definitely. And I think like for me, and I had actually navigated, so not everyone, I, I do talk about it, but. Because I actually have hemochromatosis, right? Which is not uh, like, uncommon. No, not uncommon. It's because it's not being tested. And then, then we have a population that is suffering and they get to their age of 40s and now they have hepatic damage. They have liver cirrhosis and that is like advanced development. Like my grandma, my grandmother's a testament of it. So right now, so it's 80 years old and we're like, what's going on, you know? But that's the thing. And, and protein, like I know we're big on, on meat as well, but. This is why I see so many times on blood work, I see it. I see like low levels of like BUN and creatinine. And I'm like, how much protein are you actually moving in your muscle? This is where metabolic health is one. I love looking at these basic key foundation. I'm a huge fan of blood works big time. But yeah, so what would like your top five or top five is hard. Sometimes top 10 fundamentals tools that you think like are at the basic things besides exercise, lifting weights and lifting weights. So what does that look like for most people? Because I know a lot of women are afraid of lifting heavy. I'm afraid of breaking my hip when I'm older and dying of pneumonia Mm. in the hospital. And that's not even an exaggeration or fear mongering. That's the reality of it. So Mm. we call in the chiropractic world, we call osteoporosis, skinny white girl disease. And I've always been a skinny white girl. So I light skin, light eyes. And that's that's osteoporosis waiting to happen, in my opinion. And we have the data on the mortality rates for people who break their hips and it's not good. And I've heard, I cannot tell you the horror stories I've heard. Some of these women go in so frail and so sarcopenic, meaning muscle wasting, that their hip fracture is so bad that they can't even put it back. So now the poor older woman, this, these are women in their 80s. I don't want to call them old women because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be 50 in a few weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'm in the I camp. There. It's awesome. <laughs> but I'm in the camp now. I'm like officially past. So there's like, when you're in your 40s, once, yeah, I've had a half century. I, this poor woman literally couldn't have her hip put back in. And then for a variety of reasons, which I, I will admit, I understand 
pathophysiology pretty darn well, and I still can't figure out exactly why this happened. I don't think anyone can. People's lungs fill up with fluid and they get pneumonia. So they die of pneumonia, which I cannot, as someone who has struggled with chronic pneumonia, I cannot imagine a worse fate than dying in your, drowning in your own lungs while your hip is not located in its socket and it's broken. Like that is such a horrific fate. And I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. So that is honestly one of the main reasons why I strength train. No joke. Like when I remember when I was in the gym, first in the gym, really trying to learn and really trying to get after it, there was all these young, all the guys that worked there. And I'm like in my 40s and I was I was like hotsy totsy in my early 40s and I was single. So I was a little bit of a cougar. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And there would be these young personal trainers and they'd be flirting with me. And they'd always say like, why are you in here so consistently? Why are you training so hard? I'm like, because I don't want to break a hip. And then the other thing is I would joke, but I'm not joking. I was training for the zombie apocalypse. I want no part of slow degradation and demise of my health to the point where I can't be self-sufficient and autonomous when I get older. I don't want to be put in a home. I don't want someone else wiping my butt. I don't want any part of any of that. I don't want the, the average American is on five different pharmaceuticals by the time they're my age. I don't want any part of any of that. And so I do take bioidentical hormones and I do take thyroid hormone and I do take use peptides. But to me, those are all longevity tools. Those are not pharmaceutical drugs that I'm dependent on. They're longevity tools so that I can continue to be autonomous. And having a nice physique matters and you want to be sexy and you want to look good naked and you want for your, I want to feel sexy in front of my husband because my, my husband's hot. And I want to be hot for him. But I, and I think we've, I, to touch on that, I know this might trigger some people, but I feel like vanity has been dismissed as something that we shouldn't be interested in anymore as human beings. And I think that's so weird because vanity has always been a huge needle mover for me in getting my patients to take action, pain and vanity. If someone's in enough pain or they're just so unhappy with how they look in the mirror, how things are going, and you're eating, if you're eating the wrong foods and you're living in chronic stress and you're living in chronic illness, it shows up on your face, right? And, and so I, it's not just weight, it's like the whole picture. And so to me, those have been two really big motivators to help patients see, hey, we got to change something here. And recently, in recent times, it's this whole like, oh, you're beautiful the way you are. And I'm like, but the way I am is this, I've been the sick version. I don't like the way the sick version looks. She doesn't look healthy and vital. I want to look vital. I want to like, you see those people that like you beam sunshine, like when you oh, see you, you. Like, yeah, like you beam light. And I'm that's... a little dry and a little pale right now, but because I need some sun. Like literally need sun. <laughs> I know. I was like, I have my red light, but I'm like sun first. But yeah, I have a tanning bed, which I never get in. And oh, this my morning, goodness. This morning, I'm like, I might get in the tanning bed today. I don't know. But anyway, that vi that's vitality. When yes. people beam that light, that's vitality. And that's one of our tenants in naturopathic medicine. So I really try to emulate the vit and I can see my vitality waning in the mirror if I am not taking really good care of myself. So that's the vanity I'm talking about. I want to walk in a room and like beam good mm. vibes, not just, oh, are you hot or not? That's not what I'm talking about. I, I really mean it in terms of, do your clothes fit comfortably? Do you feel powerful and strong? Do you feel like you're owning your space? Do you feel not intimidated by others around you? Do you feel like your immune system is going to protect you? Just all of those things to me, that's what I mean when I say vanity. It's like you're fully on and you're in your power and that requires exceptional health and that's a job oh it's a full-time job and that's why i think like a lot of people 
weight or a whole bag because they think it's just going to be so much, but there's so little things and small little minute things that you can actually do to actually start bettering your, your metabolic health, just walking, lifting a little bit. It does, you don't have to start lifting, I don't know, like a hundred pound dumbbells, like deadlift or something. No, you might actually injure yourself if you don't know right. what you're doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, it's, I think that there's a lot of extremists, but we have to start somewhere. Cut out the crap out of the diet, being one of them, which I think you speak a lot about. But And sun, how many sun, we can just brush that topic. People are afraid of the sun. I'm like, oh, yeah. sun is like my life giver. Sun is. Yeah. So, okay. So we have, you asked me my top five or 10, you have to move. You have to move every day. That's it. That's non-negotiable. I don't care how people move. It's not up to me. I'm not their mom. When people say, I don't know what to do, I'm like, okay, you're a grown up, so figure it out and make a decision and execute because it's called discipline. It's not motivation. And I, th that's just it. Like we all, I tell this to my daughter, I tell this to my husband and I fight about this. I'm like, okay, you can just be stagnant or you can move and I'm going to choose to move and that's it. And my mom, my mom's testament to this, she's in her seventies and she's never been into the gym at all. She hates, she she'll tell you she hates exercise, but that woman has never stopped moving and she's so resilient. She's such a tough little gal. And she comes up to here on me. You know, she's just, I can put my chin on her head. I call her my little mama. And that gal's just out there like trucking around with the lawn, uh, the bin with all the lawn refuse. She's yeah. like pulling, she's just, she got like, two of them behind her and she's walking around pulling huge plants out of the ground. So essentially deadlifting. Like she, yeah. so she's testament. So you got to move. If you're not moving, in and start making movement, your priority, number one. And then number two, what we eat completely matters. And the specifics of that, I think, really do come down to a little bit of an individual approach. But in general, like we got to get enough protein and we got to get a variety of brightly colored foods and we got to get enough hydration and we got to get enough good, healthy fats. So whatever that looks like for folks. And then sun. Yeah. Daylight. Just I live in Oregon, like I said, and I go out multiple times a day with my dogs and whether it's raining or not, I actually have a clear umbrella, one of those cool 70s looking like clear bell oh, shaped cool. umbrellas. So I get all the light still. And I usually don't, us Oregonians don't actually use umbrellas, but sometimes it's pouring. So I got to use an umbrella and we go out and we get light. And really importantly, when the sun's coming up and also when it's starting to go down, like that makes sense because we're mammals. And I think it gets too complicated online. Like the Huberman people of the world are like, you got to do it this many minutes, this much after you get up and then you can't drink coffee for 90 minutes. And, and bless him, I don't think it's his fault. I think it's people like hyper fixating and on these protocols when I'm like, just live like a freaking animal. Like animals are up and stretching in the morning and they go outside. <laughs> they get then start getting quiet and tired as the sun goes down and they turn all the lights down. So I get naked and get shaken on my red light and my vibration every morning. <laughs> that's what I do. Yes. Yes. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant wake up uh, protocol. <laughs> and then sleep. Oh my gosh. Sleep is not... Please negotiable. And I'm like the girl who, if I don't get enough sleep, I start throwing up the whole next day. So I have one child. I only gave birth once because uh, that was the only amount of sleep deprivation I could handle was one round of that. And it was terrible. And I have ended relationships with people because they didn't mm. sleep well and it was disrupting my sleep. So I, oh. I negotiate that one. That's a hundred percent the most critical factor for me. I've always known that my sleep is not and I used to really take advantage of it when I was younger and think it was cool to stay up all night. And that's just a terrible idea. And it's not cool. 
and it will ruin your metabolic health and it'll ruin everything. It'll ruin everything. You might as well become a heroin addict, honestly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my medical advice. <laughs> I mean, that's about as damaging as having your sleep destroyed is about as damaging as it can get. And there's a lot of people I know out there probably getting really mad right now because they're like, my sleep's destroyed. What are you saying? The first thing I tell when I would have a patient in front of me saying they couldn't sleep, they couldn't either get to sleep or stay asleep, which are two different beasts. But either way, I'm like, you know what? The, the rules are still the same. Is your room cool? Is it is the room that you're sleeping in cool? Is it dark, like tomb dark, like blackout curtains, like a tomb? It, LEDs are covered up. I sleep every night with earplugs and an eye mask. I am not messing oh, around. I, I sleep like, like a queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, don't mess with that. And then have you exercised during the day? If you haven't adequately moved during the day, you don't get to complain about your sleep at night. If you haven't gone outside to see the daylight in your eyes and you haven't exercised at some point, then you do not get to complain about your sleep. And after those two, and have you eaten something, right? Like you have to get enough food. Otherwise you'll wake up in the middle of the night with cortisol surges. So yeah. sleep. And then I think. Oh, well, one thing I think said, you mentioned, relationships, oh, oh, friends and community. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I was going to say, I think that community is important, although I'm a hermit and I'm isolated out here in the country. I have my dogs. So I have a great relationship with my dogs and I talk right. to my dogs and my dogs are like my BFF. So yes. <laughs> I have somebody to talk and I have a great relationship with my husband. I do. I have like fun. I have mostly friends online. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. I don't, I live in Oregon. I don't go out much here. People are like out in the country. It's pretty cool. But in Portland and town, like it's just a different everybody's. It's like the zombie apocalypse there. I don't they're all brainwashed. I know. I like you said, I'm going to Seattle. I, I, it's my first time. So who knows what's going to go down Seattle, downtown. Seattle was my favorite city in the entire world when I okay. was a teenager okay. and in college. It. Seattle and Portland were some of the coolest places in the 90s and 2000s, and we have just lost the plot since then. Mm, so it's still a beautiful, still beautiful cities. But yeah, the politically, things have really gotten turned upside down. So when you're in Canada, you understand. <laughs> yes, I, I do. The brainwashing is real, right? So yeah, so like community of people, at least having people to talk to, but I think also having pets. I think pets are, are really important. I think having somebody to take, something to take care of and be responsible to, mm. and that really gets me up and going. Otherwise, I'll, I could just lay around all day. And then I think learning, this is something that's really underrated. For me, in the past few years, I've noticed that my brain and cognition have been challenged and it was partially this like descent into menopause and also COVID really sped things up because it COVID causes brain damage. Like we know that. And so I came out of it and I was like, yeah, my cognition isn't quite what it was. And I found ways to improve it, but I don't think I would have noticed if I hadn't been a super high functioning person. And I think particularly women can get away with this. If you're not high functioning, like I have to run multiple businesses at once and I have teams of people and I have a lot going on. And I noticed it very clearly because I have something I've always prided myself on was how like whip smart I am. And I just wasn't whip smart anymore. I was slow and I was forgetting everything. And I was just like slugging along and it was starting to manifest as depression. And I was like, this is the early signs of dementia. I, I People don't realize that's what that is. And I think we just accept that as in society as like getting older and oh. Yeah. Uh, I think so keeping your brain sharp and that means purpose and education, constantly learning. I read a chapter of something every single morning. I try to listen to an hour of something every single day that teaches me or it, it helps me improve what I already know. I 
really think continuing to learn is so critical. And it gives you some purpose. And purpose is the driving force of everything. Without purpose, we drift. And when we drift, that's when the dark side gets you. So finding purpose in your work, in your life, whatever that might be. It might be your involvement in your church or your involvement. It might be your work. Like you and I have purpose through the work we do online. But some people just go collect a paycheck and their job doesn't feel very purposeful, but they can Mm -hmm. find purpose outside of that. Maybe it's raising your children. Maybe it's whatever. Just having some purpose in your life. It might be gardening. It might be like really growing up that beautiful garden or whatever. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be anything monetary, but having purpose and continuing to educate and learn, I think are the tickets to keeping your brain young. So anyway, those are my top. That's my top list. Sad. I think (laughs) It's so essential. And actually one of the big thing with like happiness and eudaimonia, I think it's the name of the other word for it. It's actually in one of my questions that I have people. Because at the end of the day, it's like these last three things at the bottom of the questionnaires. And great mentor, kudos to him with Dr. Brian Walsh. Great guy. But there's one of his in, in that questionnaire. And that's one thing they ask. If you don't have purpose or happiness and how you see yourself in the world, because if you don't feel seen, heard, and it's going to be hard to heal. So just that big emotional piece is resolving emotional issues or relationships with some people. Something can be super healing. It's Indeed. so critical. It's think about that. I, I often think about this. Being invisible because you are you, when people really start to have their health deteriorate, they become more and more invisible to the rest of the world. So that this goes back to what I was saying before. Like when you are healthy and vital, you beam mm. energy and people can't help but to notice you when you walk in the room. It's not about, again, being super hot. It's about, wow, that person's vital. You notice them when they walk in, right? It's like they've got that like Jedi energy. And the energy that you express yourself that comes out of your freaking body, like we're humans, we're connected. Yes. And when you're sick, and I've been chronically ill multiple times, I've gone back into it and I become invisible. Nobody notices me. People are less nice to me. People are less, they don't smile at you as much and you become more and more invisible. And I really think that's a huge part of why society is going the way it's going because the majority of people are ill now. The majority of U.S. adults, at least, like almost 100% have cardiometabolic dysfunction. And any woman who has gained weight will tell you this. You become less and less noticed. And I think that, Part of that is coming back like whiplash and people are now screaming and demanding that they get attention instead of earning that attention through good health, vitality, good work, good purpose, doing exceptional things in the world. That's how you used to get accolades. And now there's such there's so few people actually trying to pursue greatness that we've just got this society of mediocrity really just potentiating more mediocrity. And then folks are, and I've been there. I get it. I've been the mediocre one. And you just get tired and give up sometimes. And all of a sudden, these folks are now demanding that they get attention. And I'm like, that's not how it works. (laughs) You have to earn earn that. And it's so funny you say this because, and I went through during COVID and I don't talk a lot about it because I used to work for a massive delivery company in Canada and I got booted out because of the whole nonsense and because I stood my ground and well, I'm losing my train of thought. And, but really even that took a step forward. That was so freaking uncomfortable. But when you stand up for what you are truly at your core, 
you're going to go through the work that needs to get done in order to get shit done. And because even though if it was like a actual mm. very non-ethical thing to do or to force upon anybody and for myself speaking, guess what? I'm still going through this, but man, at the end of the day is all that hard work that's been put in that last two years. It's just so worth it. And it has to be done no matter what. Yeah. And look at how it causes you to grow. That's so how humans so grow. Much. I kept getting people asking me, I, you know, I don't know when you found my work, but I was gunning after that narrative mm. early 2020. I was not having it. And I was one of the few big accounts that was like, that's still standing that. And please talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I got cytomegalovirus when I was 19 and it almost killed me. And cytomegalovirus is a really common virus that it's in the herpes family. Most people will get it and clear it. It It's not a big deal. It, it uh, about took me out. I had to pull, I had to drop out of college for a while and uh, it almost killed me. And they, it was because I was so severely immunocompromised for real. And I then struggled for the next 10 years. And that's ultimately what led me into naturopathic medical school was I had to find answers. I had to heal myself, right? That's how we all go on these journeys. And all that to say is I became obsessed with how and whether people believe in viruses as they're described or not, whatever that process is, I became obsessed with it. And I realized that the core to overcoming all of this was resiliency and that that's just an inside job. Like you have to build your own health. No one can do that for you. There's no pill. Mm -hmm. There's no shot. There's no magic bullet. That's just a, like we said, it's a daily job. And so when COVID hit, I was like, no, guys, we're being lied to. That's not how this works. And then something else would come up. And I'm like, that's not how this works either. And on and I couldn't figure out why nobody else was standing up. I'm like, and then on top of it, they were attacking me. My colleagues were attacking me, naturopathic doctors, which is super weird. I'm a chiropractor too. And the chiropractors were behind me. And I'm like, did I learn this in chiropractic college? And they did not learn it in naturopathic school because I know we took board exams on it. So that all got really <laughs> weird. And Anyway, and on it went, right, for we're coming on the four-year anniversary here. So I just knew that nothing was adding up. And I also knew since I was experiencing the receiving end of severe censorship and repression of the words I was trying to get out to the public about just, hey, what about vitamin D? And I don't even mean the supplement. Hey, what about going outside for walks? I knew when the hashtag sunlight got banned on Instagram. That's insane. In mid-2020, we were in trouble. And I was like, they don't want us. They don't want us improving our health and resiliency. What's in their pocket? And it had to be what, you know, the therapeutic intervention that they claim is mm -hmm. the the must have. But that was so eye opening to me to be on the receiving end of that and realize I had always said they want to slow, sick, fat and dumb. I've always said that. I've said that yeah. for decades. They want to slow, sick, fat and dumb. We're easier to control, right? We're exactly. just way easier to control. And that was the last four years was proof positive to me. That's what is going on. And the way that people just lapped it up and drank the Kool-Aid and just kept going. And I'm like, okay. And so then it's 2021, it's 2022. And people are still fighting with trying to fight with me about it. And I'm like, dude, you've had two years to get your shit together. This, none of this information was novel. It was Everything I was saying was backed by data. I was literally sharing out the studies. And then I was being accused of fabricating the studies. It was wild. It was wild. What I could not believe how stupid humans were behaving. I call it like the stupid. It's like the stupidest period of history of human history, in my opinion. And I finally just shut up about it because I'm like, good luck. Like, whatever. Good yeah. luck. 
on yeah. that one. I'm going back to just helping those who are going to make it to exactly. get through the next several years because well, they're not done with us yet. But I think that I think I was trained up for this because I'd gone through so much shit in my life. And that's what people kept saying, like, how are you so thick skinned? How are you dealing with this? And I'm like, dude, I'm always the one pointing out the obvious and taking slack for it. Like, that's just been my lot in life. So I'm just used, like I was saying back in the late 2000s when I was saying that we photosynthesize and people were like, you're crazy. The sun gives you cancer. Shut up. And my colleagues were all over me. My colleagues were all over me when I was in clinical practice because they're like, Dr. Tina thinks everybody has metabolic dysfunction because I was running serum insulins on everyone and other metabolic markers. And actually, yeah, actually, yes, they all did. And I saw what was coming. I'm like, how come 80 some percent of all my patients have severe metabolic dysfunction, even though they don't know it? And now here we are. And latest data is what 94% of U.S. adults have cardiometabolic dysfunction. And that was a 2018 statistic, which means God only knows what it's like post-pandemic. We're sitting in a mess and they know it and they are not helping. I was was envisioning in 2020, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Jack LaLanne. Jack LaLanne used to be this like... I was born in 92. Okay. So you have to, you would love him. Go look up Jack LaLanne when... We get off this. He was actually a chiropractor, which very few people know, but he was this really fit, good looking older guy. And he was on television every morning for decades. And he would do like a basic exercise routine every morning for decades. This guy was on TV and it was great. I remember growing up watching Jack LaLanne and he would always wear like a tight fitting shirt and like black tights. And he would do chair yoga, but they didn't call it yoga. It was stretching or whatever. He would just like, he just kept America moving. And really smart man. And I kept thinking at early 2020, like, why don't we have a Jack LaLanne show? If they actually cared about us making it through this, why weren't they handing out everybody like state sponsored packets of vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc? And why wasn't there some nationwide television show every morning? I was like, shit, I'll do it. Put me on the TV and let's all move every day. Why weren't why wasn't everybody encouraged to get 10,000 steps in? That to me is when I knew something reeked because mm. that would have been so easy and so many more people would have made it through this than did. And yet here we are and it's still not a mention of it. So when people want to argue with me about COVID or any of my policies or thoughts on it, I'm like, you know what? Until people are ready to have the conversation about metabolic health driving the pandemic, I'm not talking to them. I'm not giving in to their psychosis anymore because- mm. That's it at the end of the day. If you have solid metabolic health, we have all the data now on the tail. Everyone thought I was a terrible person when I was saying that was true be- beginning of 2020. And now here we are four years later with how many studies showing that if you just go for a walk regularly, your chances oh. of ending up in hospital are reduced by like 45%. Your chances of ending up on vent reduced by what, 38%. Just it's crazy how Jeez. much all of these simple things could have mm-hmm. saved lives. And yet not a lick of information out of the government or public health boards about it. So anyway, that's why I call bullshit for <laughs> the yeah. last four years. And, uh, drop. Mike, drop. <laughs> Absolutely. And my fear with this is now we're talking data that is based a lot on actual grown-ups, but what about the kids? What's going on, going on? Metabolic health worldwide is, especially in America, Canada is not even better, but the way that kids are fed. And metabolic health is not even better in, in, our, in our teens and youth. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, and I'm like, you're setting them up for metabolic dysfunction right off the get-go. It's, it's just, I used to be fat and obese as a kid. It was like, I was in the closet and uh, so many other things, but 
that led to a, a bunch of stuff, but it's also what I was putting in my mouth at the same time. But when I was not, I didn't grow up like in, in all the big process stuff though, like margarine, we had the margarine and stuff. But at the same time, it was, it's not fun as a kid. When you're a kid and you're at 13 years old and you weigh 140 pounds, like it was so hard on me as Aww. a kid. And you're in high school and you don't want to go, like I hated sports. Sports was my biggest fear going in the gym, changing room. It was so yeah. traumatizing because I felt like I didn't want to even be part of the, even the teams. Like when I went to high school in Alberta, thank God I finished grade 11 and 12 here because I had enough credits in from Quebec to actually skip sports because I didn't want to be in a gym class at all because I was so afraid. And so that's where I think a lot of even kids are still probably even feel that way. So I can't imagine. That is not fun. It's not fun. So no, making that like fun. normal is not normal to be fat, period. It's not normal. And then it's, oh, yeah, you just can't make this shit up. And when people actually do, and I'm like, no, I went through this myself. I was obese and fat. And then how detrimental it is for your health. And it's just for how people look at you. It's like you're putting yourself up for a long list of freaking diseases for down the road. And that, I think that's the thing, like the normalization of obesity and this health at every size hypothesis, which is just a hypothesis that is being disproven in real time, especially in the past 12 to 18 months. This isn't my, okay. So my daughter, my daughter is built like her dad and she's just tall and she's just a lot bigger person than I am. She's just, and she has a propensity to gain weight easily. And she had some animosity towards me as a teenager because I was just the skinny little thing. I was in the gym all the time and I was, you know, really careful about what I was eating. But like she and I butted heads for years about it. And she had some resentment towards me because she was a chubby kid and a chubby teenager. And it was so hard on her. Uh, it was so hard to watch her go through that and how she was treated and how she perceived the world and how she hated sports and activities, et cetera. And she now helps me with my online business. And she's like my number one teammate in all this. And she listens to every single podcast I record. And she, the other day, she was like, mom, I want to apologize because you're, you've always just been trying to help people. Like, I realize that now, like, you're just trying to help you. You have to say it. Like, sometimes you have to give the tough love. And that's my specialty is like just saying it how it is. But the tough love sometimes is the best needle mover. I don't care what anyone says. It's tiptoeing around the subject and allowing people to continue. I, tr I learned that in practice. I would tiptoe and tiptoe and use all of the very soft words. And then five years later, the patient's now in full-blown diabetes dealing with kidney issues. And they're like, and I'm like, I've been trying to tell you for the past five years of your diabetes, what was coming. And they're like, you never told me I was diabetic. I learned this from one patient. She, her hair was falling out when I met her. She had severe metabolic dysfunction and she was one of my very first patients. And I was so careful with the words I chose with her because I didn't want to offend her. She was heavier set and we were working on things. I could not get her to exercise. I could not get her to do some of these lifestyle changes, but she was trying her best with what she was willing to do. And five years in, we start seeing some very severe changes on labs and some very concerning symptoms. And she yelled at me and said, you never told me I was diabetic. And I'm like, you've been diabetic since you walked in this door. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? I said, because you just didn't have the magic number on labs. You just weren't at 120 fasting glucose yet. You had pre-diabetes. I've been telling you, you had metabolic dysfunction and pre-diabetes. And she said, you said it was pre. I'm like, now it's here. <laughs> and it has arrived. 
all the damage has been happening all these years. And she was also a heavy set kid. So she's been dealing with this her whole life. And she's now in her fifties. Right. And her big concern when she walked in was hair loss. And I'm like, your hair loss, there's no like magical cream or supplement to take on that. Anyway, all this to say is like, I started getting really pretty direct with patients and I was popular in Portland for that. That's other doctors would send their patients to me not to have, not to take on as patients, but just for one consult, because I, they said, I want to, I want you to give them the come to Jesus talk, like throw down. And I would direct, I'm very direct. I'm not unkind at all. I, I am very careful about being kind. I'm just direct. And some people don't like that, but the patients would always look at me and say, that's what my doctor, that's what my other naturopath told me. I'm like, so why aren't you listening to them? But it's for some reason, my delivery would maybe break through some barriers, but we are not doing our patients and our clients any, any kindness by tiptoeing along. Because if you're sitting at prediabetes, let's just put it this way. By the time you get diagnosed with Frank type two diabetes, your metabolic system is so completely busted and destroyed that getting it back is going to be 10 times harder than if we caught it very preliminary. And that damage that's happening in the type 2 diabetic, that's happening in the pre-diabetic, and it's happening for 15, 20 years before they finally get diagnosed, if they do get diagnosed. And by then, the cardiovascular disease, the kidney disease, all, I, I just saw something in American Medical Association. They're like, are we under-tracking kidney disease? And I'm like, dude, everybody with severe metabolic dysfunction has kidney disease, and you can see it in their labs, but it's showing up decades after the damage started, right? Mm-hmm. So- we have to start intervening earlier, and that's going to require some very direct language. It's oh. not about obesity. There are skinny fat people. There are plenty of, I was one of them. Thin on the outside, fat on the inside. There are plenty of people with busted metabolic health that are underweight. There are, usually they're overweight. Fat drives that process. Adipose cells secrete hormones that draw and mess, as Joel talks about in his yeah, book. Leptin, about, adiponectin like, and... It it destroys your macrophages. Your fat cells Mm -hmm. literally become little furnaces of fire, of inflammatory fire, and it busts your immune system. And anyway, and it feeds forward. That whole mess feeds forward. And then other cells get involved that wouldn't have been involved otherwise. And so fat in and of itself, maybe when you're in your 20s, it's not inflammatory. But once it decides to make that shift to an inflammatory tissue, an endocrine, inflammatory endocrine tissue, it's crazy organ, I should say, then like the inmates are running the asylum and the fire has started and it's traveled throughout. Now your blood is literally fire and it's a disaster. And so then when COVID hits and people quite literally melted down. Their immune systems yeah. melted down. And it, it's happened so quickly. No doctor can do anything about that. There's no drug on the planet. We can try to throw steroids at it, but there's no drug that's going to stop that. Once that it's, did you watch Game of Thrones? Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? I don't think I did. I don't think oh. I did. <laughs> You're one of the only people. I, but I, yeah, I think I watch all these other whole shows and yeah, I love that stuff. They had this, they it was like a mythical land, but they had this substance called wildfire. And okay. The minute it ignited, it just it just burned everything up and it burned every and it, it fed forward the fire. And that's what I think of when people are metabolically busted is they're literally like walking around with wildfire in their blood. And the minute it decides to now COVID can turn it on, a good viral yeah. onset, a car accident, any kind of trauma, stressor turns that fire on and now it's going. And that is so much harder to pull people back from than if we could get them in the preliminary stages when they're maybe packing on 10, 15 extra pounds out of nowhere and they're starting to show signs of insulin resistance, even if their labs aren't showing it. 
They are cellularly insulin resistant. We have got to get on top of that. And that's usually in the 40s. That's happening. It's happening in the 20s and 30s too, sadly, and even in kids. But it's really happening in my age cohort. And it's a hot mess. And then what happens? They end up on a lifelong of high blood pressure meds, a lifelong of statins, a lifelong of all these other medications. They just keep adding them along until they're in their 60s and 70s. And we don't know what's real and what's a side effect of the drug. That to me is just the disaster of the American and North American medical system. Mm -hmm. It's like in Canada, my husband, my ex-husband was a chiropractor up there and he would tell me stories all the time of patients who couldn't get in to get an MRI for something very basic, but they were happily given, you know, a lifetime supply of Oxycontin. And now they were turned into opioid addicts when all they really needed was some chiropractic adjustments, which wouldn't get paid for. And maybe, you know, maybe an MRI just to see what was going on. They just needed conservative care. But anyway, it's just a disaster. The system, the way it's handled is it's so gross that it made me leave medicine. Like it's one of the main reasons I got out. I was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. The system is gross and it's busted and doctors are stuck in it. I feel terrible for them because they're burning out at exponential rates and many of them don't want to be there anymore because they also see that the system's busted. But it's a bigger beast than any one person can tackle. So. Anyway, not to be de- depressing. Oh, no. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not like to be the bearer of bad news. It, this is reality. This is what we're actually facing right now. And the healthcare system in Canada is only crumbling even further. And that's one thing. You have to be your own self-advocate for your health because otherwise nobody else will do it. Myself, because I don't have high levels of ferritin enough to be actually diagnosed with hemochromatosis. Guess what? This is a whole other thing to navigate even the healthcare system. I, you have to be referred to an intern, hematologist, and you're lucky and you have to like literally tell a whole story. And it's very, yeah. It, so I, so I'm feeling it even right now, but you have to be proactive. Otherwise, good luck. You <laughs> so, don't stand a chance. That's yeah. That's what I've been preaching don't. for decades. I've been trying to get people to understand, like you have got to take your health in your own hands. You have to learn as much as you can. I, it is critical that everybody learn the basics of nutrition, like just the basics. You have to be armed. If you're a mother, you need to learn it and teach your children. You you have to be the steward for the family. It, it, we have to learn the basics. We have to learn the basics of exercise and how to do it safely. And if that requires some upfront investment on folks part, or maybe it's just a time investment, these things have to happen because this, my warning is none of this is getting better. It's clearly getting worse and it's doing so very rapidly. And I've seen the demise of it in my lifetime. I grew up in doctor's offices. I was a very sick child, very sick. And then, like I said, at 19, I got hammered with a virus that sent my life sideways. And so I've always been a a proponent of my own health. And even just recently, I have psoriatic arthritis, which is a horrible condition. And it Mm -hmm. flared really badly. And I couldn't get any of my call. I, I am friends with some of the smartest people on the planet. And still nobody could really help me. And I had to take it on myself. I had to figure it out myself because all the chiropractors wanted to deal. My spine was fusing. So they're looking at me biomechanically and all the nature paths are looking at me systemically, but they're not addressing the biomechanics and the actual pain that was driving. The pain was almost suicidal driving. Mm. It was terrible. And, and I'm a pretty tough chick and it was like nothing I've ever been through. But that it was still testament to me at the end of the day. Like I could have people help me and I could have people give me answers here and there. And every bit of it was helpful a bit. It adds up to a better answer, but like it was me 
making choices with what I put in my mouth, how I chose to do with my body, what I decided to do with my time, some of the wonderful biohacking things you've described, like sauna and vibration plate, and red light and all of those things. And I, I realize these are cost prohibitive to a lot of people, but we can accumulate our health, right? We can slowly accumulate our health. We can accumulate some of the tools that we need. And these are all we can save up for some of the things we need. And mm -hmm. a red light doesn't have to be a giant panel. It could be just be a small little unit. We can start small. We can grow up from there. Yeah. But we have to learn. And we have and thank God for accounts like yours that are you know teaching people the basics because we have to yeah. figure that out, even if we don't have labs, right? We got it. Yeah, you have to. Oh, it's so yeah, important. you have to be your own advocate and your own family's advocate because the system especially in canada it's atrocious this healthcare system up there it's i've seen it it's like the zombie apocalypse at yeah. the er oh. in alberta oh, oh absolutely it's and this is why i'm looking actually to leave the country right so i'm looking at places like panama possibly because you just have to and you have better healthcare system i don't care i've been paying all along i've invested over probably like two hundred thousand dollars so far in the past like wow. six seven years and just my health and figuring out what the hell's going on get certifications and yeah. that's a big thing i'm standing on the pmf mat right now as i'm speaking to you but it's just you don't have to start there start with the basic stuff the, your water the hair that you filter in your home and you're a big advocate of the same thing i think like we have to build resilient and if you are growing little ones man i'm like it, it only will provide optimal health for everybody it's not just yourself it's 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 everybody that will be impacted from having one sauna in the house oh my gosh yes i completely agree even those pop-up saunas that are around a thousand that's what i have terrasage yeah terrasage yeah i had a similar unit different company for years and years and i used it and now i have the nice walk-in sauna from the wood one but whatever there's sauna blankets like yeah, we, exactly. we got to start where we can. And I've given sauna blankets for gifts so many times. And I always hear the same thing. Like everyone in the house is using it or the little toddlers crawling in there with mom to get warm and, and not to sweat necessarily. The dogs and cats are crawling in there. My dog loved my pop-up sauna. She, my sweet little chihuahua <laughs> was always in there with me. And yes, uh, it's an investment that the whole family and I force my husband out into that sauna. And I'm like, dude, this is going to keep your heart going because he's got cardiovascular disease in his family pretty significantly. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I want 20 more years at least. So get in the sauna. The data so, is insane. <laughs> it's not just it's I say that because it's not just me who wanted it to have a nice bougie sauna. I really am using it to keep my family alive. I, my exactly. mom has a sauna. I gave my mom the sauna mm -hmm. from my clinic, the big unit. I'm like, I need my mom on the planet. This is very selfish of me. I but, need these people around to keep me exactly. sane. So I, I need everybody <laughs> healthy. Everybody get your shit together. Everybody get healthy. And I say this because I'm the token doctor in the family. And you're probably like the token resource now, too, of a healer. <laughs> yeah. And when it's so weird, even in my own family, people will just not listen to me. And then they wait until there's an emergent situation. And then they call me and I have to bail them out of an emergency. And that usually requires IVs and antibiotics and stuff. I don't love giving. I'm a preventative medicine doctor, not a emergency care doctor. And nobody in my family is trusting of the system anymore. So nobody wants to go to the doctor. Nobody wants to go to the hospital. I don't blame them, especially mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in Oregon here, where it's like serious, a zombie apocalypse, like I said. So I told everyone at the onset of winter this year, I'm like, could we all just get our shit together for real so I don't have to play emergency doctor all winter? 
Can we just, here's your little packs of supplements and medications. Can we just like preemptively not get into the hot mess? Could you all, everyone has a sauna. Everyone has a red light. And my, I bought everybody everything. I'm like, can everybody just use your stuff and stay healthy? Because I am tired of getting phone calls where I have to like uh, put the wheels back on the truck. It could be through this. It's just like <laughs> my parents, at least they get to use my stuff here. And I have the sauna now and I had them a sauna blanket as well too. And it's just, man, just sauna. I think the data was insane, like over 60% of reduction in, in, in stroke by having four or five times a week of 19 minutes, yeah. at least a sauna. It's crazy. You yeah. can't even put that in a pill. Like you can't put that in a pill. Like you can't get this anywhere else. You can't put any of this stuff in a pill. That's the thing. You can't put exercise in a pill. You can't put sauna in a pill. Or even if people um, don't have sauna, get in a hot bath, sweat. There's actually some speculation that just sweating for a period of time might actually induce a similar heat shock protein profile as sauna. So if we don't have something that's spendy, let's go do what we can for free. If you can't go outside and put your feet on the ground, then something that I love because I live in Oregon and I it's muddy and cold and I'm not putting my feet on that ground. If I had nice snow, I might do it, but it's pretty gross out here. Is your dogs actually go out and gather negative electrons off? They ground, they turn into mm -hmm. giant grounding machines, and then they come in and then you pet them. So use your dog as your source. <laughs> I never thought about that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't have pets, but wow, yeah. Dogs are grounding agents. They go out and get super, super charged mm -hmm. and then come in and you get the benefit. They also have a very diverse microbiome from being outside and they're mm -hmm. blowing up. So that's what they do when you see dogs sniffing. They're not actually sucking in. They're blowing out because they basically blast the ground with their air. And that makes everything come up in a plume so they can smell it. So then they can figure out what's there. So they're getting inoculated with all kinds of diverse microbiome. And then you come in, they come in and you pet them, right? So anyway, I use my dogs for a lot of good health benefits. It's, it's oxy <laughs> oxytocin release yeah. and little cuddles. And yeah, beyond <laughs> companionship. I know. Oh my God. This has been so good. I think there's like a huge topic on the Zenpeg, but I think like we can do a part two for that. I okay. think we're up to the, to the hour and then you have to get to your Pilates because exercise do. is a must. So <laughs> I, I do Pilates with all these, I was telling you off there, I'll tell all these little old ladies that are super fit and this class kicks my butt and the lady runs it. She's like, you could do the more advanced class. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to stay here with these Older gals that are all super fit, because this is clearly the fountain of youth right here. This oh, this is awesome. <laughs> That's the machine that you, I see that like you're, you're, I saw that post that you did. So this, is that what Pilates are? That's a reformer. So oh, that's, that's a reformer. Okay. So I'll tell you a quick story about Pilates, because I don't think people know this. I'm a geek about it. So Joseph Pilates was a British, he was actually a very sickly kid. And he built his body up and he joined the army. And then during World War II, he was stuck in a hospital setting on an island. And he started as a soldier, he was injured, and he started rehabbing all the other soldiers with the way that he had rehabbed himself as a child or mm -hmm. as a young man. And he started putting bed springs. He basically dismantled the beds and he put bed springs and holy systems all over these hospital beds. And started rehabbing the patients. So the Germans got word on this and the Germans decided they wanted him to train and rehab their troops. And he said no. So he left and he moved to the United States and he opened a Pilates studio in New York. And then the ballerinas started getting wind of the dancers in New York started getting wind of this, whatever this exercise machine facility was. Yeah. And they he has a whole bunch of different machines, but that's one of them. 
And anyway, that's how Pilates started and how it ended up here. And then if you look at old vintage posters of anatomy, male anatomy, like the muscle system, that they were all drawn off of Joseph Pilates' physique. So he is a self was a self-made physical fitness guy. And yeah, it's a pretty cool story. And he was saying back in the 30s and the 20s that humans were he 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 went on this big rant in his book about how lazy they were and how they all sat in front of the radio all day and they never exercised and how they were turning into big slobs and how it was going to be the downfall of all of their health and how despicable the modern man's health was. And this was like 100 years ago. So we're here we are now. It's it's true. Think about projection. Yeah, thoroughly. Yeah, that's what's happening. He called it back then, though. He was saying the food supply was busted. Can you imagine how much better things were back then? And oh, my gosh, I can. (laughs) I I was having my when my grandma was here, we were having that conversation because she used to live like when there's no electricity, candles and having to go in the middle of the winter, go out and take like a shit, like literally in a freaking shed because they didn't have toilets back then. Like it was literally like, oh, my God, while having to walk to go to school. She's 80 years old and she went through that herself. I was like, oh, wow, we really have it way too easy now (laughs) in some ways. I'm grateful for that modernization. But man, I'm like, it was something you, if you wanted to eat, you had to freaking work for it. If you wanted to actually go to the bathroom, you had to work for it. If you like anything, you had to go to school. Now I question school, but I'm you like, should, if, you should have your grandma on the podcast. Go. I've got some serious knowledge bombs that she could drop. That's resilience. Was that in Canada? Was she going? Yeah, to that was in Magog in Quebec, small oh, town. Man. Like she had to walk like a couple kilometers, like to get the school round trip. And back then the snowstorms in Quebec were incredible. Like we're talking like beats wow. of snow like and there was no boss that was like they were not taking a horse to go to school i mean they were walking and literally i mean, they didn't even have the snow boots that we have nowadays my and grandma did not grow up and... oh it was really poor i mean she actually went to work in tobacco field in ontario my grandma did that she worked oh man little lady like she worked so hard and worked two jobs seven days a week for 17 years she worked 16 hours a day non-stop like crazy my grandma anyways Get your grandma. grandma on the podcast. I want to I hear that episode. I know. This was such a uh, delightful episode. So I'm really glad to have you on. And where can people, we're going to have a part two indeed, but okay. where can people find you? What's the easiest yes. way? Thank you so much for having me on. It was so fun. I, I was really looking forward to this. I was getting ready this morning and I sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to do a podcast. And I was really excited because I knew we were going to have a fun talk. So thank you for that. <laughs> So my Instagram is Dr. Tina. It's D-R-T-Y-N-A. And you can basically put that in and find me everywhere. YouTube. My podcast is The Dr. Tina Show. My website is drtina.com. And if you go there at the very top, there's a free guide that you can grab called Assess Your Metabolic Health. And that'll give you, really, it's just the the international diagnostic criteria of metabolic syndrome. And I think it's just a good guide to get people thinking and really seeing where they're at. And then take it, it was designed to take to your doctor and have a conversation and start open that conversation up so that you can get ahead of the curve, like I was saying, and really make sure you know where you are early so that type 2 diabetes isn't your fate. Because I think that is a certain fate for pretty much everybody at this point if they're not actively fighting against it. So Yeah. Amazing. And I'll put all your information in the show notes as well for people for easy reach. And if people want to Take a look and everything what you have to offer and the free guides and tools and your amazing podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just been so amazing to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So fun. 
Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Regen Biome Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or seeking private one-on-one health coaching, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, regenbiome.com or on Instagram at Jean Felix Turcott underscore JFT. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.